G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, on 2020 we have taken a keen interest in developments in Indonesia with regard to the rise of Islamic influence in that nation. And you'll recall the Christian governor of Jakarta in Indonesia, Basuki Tahaja Panama, also known as Ahok, was recently jailed because of a blasphemy law in Indonesia because he suggested that Muslims could vote for a Christian when, in fact, the Quran seems to say that they can't. Well, now Ahok is currently serving a two-year sentence. And there is a new development to look at. It's reported the Indonesian president, Joko Widodo, has placed a ban on hardline Islamist organisations, including the ones that organised those mass street demonstrations that eventually saw the jailing of that Christian governor, Ahok. Well, the ban is being condemned by some groups in Indonesia. So let's get some insight into what's going on in Indonesia. Professor Peter Riddell serves as Vice Principal Academic at the Melbourne School of Theology. He's also Professorial Research Associate in the Department of History at SOAS University of London. He previously taught at the Australian National University and a university in Indonesia. He's published widely on the study of Southeast Asian Islam and Christian-Muslim relations. Peter's joining us. Hello, Peter. Welcome back to 2020. Hello, Neil. It's good to be back. Peter, which groups in Indonesia are being specifically targeted by this new announcement from the president? Well, um, at this stage, we've the, what's happened is that the president has issued a presidential decree, uh, and it's generally worded at this stage. Um, it's worded in terms of um, targeting groups which do not buy into the national ideology. Um, now, at this stage, they haven't specifically named groups, but the likely targets are those uh, groups such as Hizbut Tahrir and the uh, Islamic Defenders Front, which were, as you rightly pointed out, um, connected uh, with the um, case against the former Jakarta governor, uh, Basuki Purnama. Um, so they, they would be two of the key groups, but there are quite a number of uh, Islamist groups also that would also, that would come into, into the firing line. Now, human rights groups want to challenge the ban already, and as you're indicating, the presidential decree really is just, uh, this is a, an idea that I've got, there's not a lot of weight around all of the laws as they might look uh, when that actually filters through into legislation, uh, but when you've got human rights groups saying, uh, this ban isn't good... Uh, should be challenged in the Constitutional Court. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on those groups and what sort of weight they have to uh, to their ideas about addressing those laws? Yes, well, it's, um, there are a couple of issues here, I think. Firstly, um, I think uh, civil libertarians and uh, human rights groups naturally, automatically um, resist any form of banning, any anything that they see as an infringement on, on uh, civil liberties and uh, individual freedom of expression. 
So I guess, in a sense, that response is predictable, and we need human rights groups, of course. But having said that, any society, any democratic society, imposes bans of some form. Um, for example, if there were groups that were advocating, for example, the assassination of public figures, such a group would be banned in a democratic society. So the question becomes, where do you draw the line? And I guess the line that needs to be drawn is a, is a line where groups which use democracy to basically undermine democracy are those that should be targeted. Now, um, that's what the Indonesian government's trying to do at the moment. Um, they're targeting those groups which are working within the Indonesian system to undermine the existing Indonesian system. That's their motivation. Um, and the likely targets, which, as I say, have not yet been named specifically, but the likely targets noticeably banned in many other countries. So Indonesia's picking up on what many countries are doing, um, targeting particular groups that they see as antithetical to the very existence of Indonesia as it currently stands. Uh, Peter, what does it say about the Indonesian government's resolve to keep Indonesia secular? Because it's a, a secular nation, although there is a predominance of Islamic or Muslim followers of Islam. Uh, what is it saying about the government in making a, a decree like this? Well, in fact, it's saying quite a lot on that score, Neil, because um, this presidential decree... Uh, declares that any groups which do not buy into the national ideology are going to be, um, they're going to have to answer for it. And the national ideology is based on, on, on a pluralistic approach to, to religious faith. So, uh, Indonesia's national ideology is based on five principles. And the first principle is a recognition, um, or is, is a, an acceptance of belief in the one God as expressed through six official religions. So, Indonesia's fundamental philosophy is against privileging Islam. The groups uh, who are being targeted by this presidential degree want to privilege Islam. So the Indonesian government's trying to preserve uh, Indonesian pluralism and trying to uh, resist those groups which are wanting to undermine that. You mentioned a couple of groups, the Hizbut Tahrir and the Islamic Defenders Front. Uh, and the Islamic Defenders Front in particular certainly worked to have Ahok jailed for blasphemy. Now, the Hizbut Tahrir group supports an Islamic state and the implementation of Sharia law across the country, but it's not known for violence, and it's also legal here in Australia. But uh, what are your thoughts on this group, uh, Hizbut Tahrir, if they are in the firing line for this particular decree? Yes, well, um, the, they, uh, it is often stated that they're not known for violence. And, of course, um, if violence is interpreted as um, actually setting people out in the street to attack other people, then Hizbut Tahrir does not overtly do that. They embrace an ideology which some people would argue can nurture a mindset of violence. It's noticeable that Hizbut Tahrir are banned, for example, in Germany, in Russia, in China, in Egypt in Turkey, and in virtually all Arab countries. So most Muslim nations ban Hizbut Tahrir. So that should be telling us something. And I think the Indonesians have said, well, if most Muslim nations ban Hizbut Tahrir, perhaps we should consider doing the same thing. And maybe Australia would want to ask the same question as well. 
Well, I sometimes think of this because it's been mentioned a number of times in media headlines uh, over recent months or even years that Hizbut Tahrir comes out with some sort of, you know, uh, on the edge uh, sort of idea or video or whatever it might be and wondering why the Australian government might not have acted yet. Uh, Do you think this sort of idea, if they are going to be targeted, uh, may actually spark something in the Australian authorities? Um, oh, look, I think it's unlikely that the Australian government would follow the lead of Indonesia on this particular case. Now, it's true that there's, uh, there's no evidence of Hizbut Tahrir actually taking part in violence in Australia. And the argument from uh, those who oppose banning is that uh, uh, it's better to allow good arguments to out-debate bad arguments. Um, I think my my response would really be, to what extent do these kinds of groups contribute to uh, the betterment of society, to uh, social social integration and social cohesion? And I think we've got to take a long, hard look at groups such as Hizbut Tahrir. Do they actually contribute in a positive way uh, in Australia? Um, it's interesting that Germany's banned them. Um, perhaps we should look at doing the same. I note that they're considered to be an international pan-Islamic political organisation. And if we were looking at context, perhaps the idea that there is an election that's due in Indonesia in 2019, uh, how these events might look uh, so far as the manoeuvring of the president, Joko Widodo, and, uh, and the activities of these other groups. What are your thoughts on the upcoming election that is uh, less than a couple of years away? Well, I think... I think here we are really getting to the crux of the issue. What we've seen in the last uh, 10 or years or so is Islamist groups at the more radical end tr- initially trying to use the uh, electoral system to, to gain power in Parliament. They failed to do so. And so they've turned their attention to really standover tactics and pressure tactics, as we saw during the Jakarta governor elections. Now, they were very successful. They were successful in organising mass rallies where they were not successful in gaining votes for parliamentarians. So I think groups uh, such as the Islamic Defenders Front have realised that they will gain more by um, organising mass rallies of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and that's what they're planning to do in the 2019 uh, presidential elections. Now, it would be a tragedy for Indonesia if the result of those elections was determined by such groups using standover tactics. So I think that's a key thing in the forefront of the mind of the Indonesian president and his administration. And Peter, let me just put you on the spot here, because you'll have Australians who would say that Islamic groups in Australia are just not like that, not like the ones in Indonesia, not like the ones that we might be seeing in the headlines. Uh, Is there something special or even a little softer about Islamic groups in Australia than than what we see in the headlines for what we're hearing about overseas? Well, look, here in Australia, we get the full range of uh, Islamic viewpoints as as we're seeing in Indonesia. We have to realise that with the the events taking place in Indonesia today, the groups that are wanting to ban the radical groups, they're largely Muslims themselves. So it's a kind of internal Islamic struggle that's taking place over there. And you'd get the same range of views here in Australia. So I think a lot of Australian Muslims would be embarrassed by uh, some of the statements that are made by the more radical groups here in Australia, just as they are in Indonesia. And when we see these sorts of headlines, as Christians here in Australia, sometimes we can feel as though there is a wedge that's being drawn or driven between uh, two peoples. 
uh, how ought we be thinking as Christian believers? Because I suspect it's it's not to cower in the corner or or to be divided, but there's obviously an embracing that needs to come somewhere for Christians towards people who might even be embarrassed about what's happening in other countries. What are your thoughts on a Christian response? Yes, look, I think this is key, Neil. The bottom line is, uh, as we've as we've just mentioned, in Indonesia we are seeing. Muslims debate vigorously among themselves. Uh, the same views can be found in Australia, and I think it's incumbent on Christians to observe and support those Muslims who are equally put off by the views of radical Islamist groups as, uh, as non-Muslims are. Now, um, some of the statements you hear from the radical groups in Australia are, are, are quite alienating for all Australians, um, whether Muslim or Christian or whatever, I think we can we can form partnerships with moderate Muslims on, on such issues. Well, Peter Riddell, always so good getting your insights. And for people wanting to contact you, there'll be a link on the Melbourne School of Theology website. And I'd point people to the Melbourne School of Theology. Simply Google Melbourne School of Theology. Professor Peter Riddell serves as Vice Principal Academic at the Melbourne School of Theology. He's widely published on the study of Southeast Asia Islam and Christian-Muslim relations. Peter, thanks so much for taking some time to update us today on 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.